Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. It's good to be here, Dan. Uh, Chris, good to have you back. Uh, two weeks uh, since our last recording, had a quick break for Thanksgiving, um, and you know, good amount of action um, over the recent couple of days. Uh, in particular, I want to highlight, um, you know, during Jerome Powell's speech at the Brookings Institute, um, he acknowledged that the Fed is going to slow the pace of rate increases, and, and that could happen as, as soon as. Uh, early as or excuse me, could happen as soon as December, um, and then immediately following this, you know, we saw a, a surge in the equity markets on on pretty big volume. Um, so as we're looking at this here um, through the end of the quarter, uh, at the, through the end of November 30th, that S and P is now up 13 and a half percent. The Russell 2000 is up about uh, about the same for the quarter, um, and the Nasdaq rally it's, it's lagged. Um, it's only up about 8.5 percent so far here again you know, in the third quarter. So anyhow, here we are. We're sitting here recording on December 1st. Um, the S&P 500, the Russell 2000, those year-to-date losses have been close to cut in half at this point. Uh, the Nasdaq's still down a pretty good amount, 26.5% on a year-to-date. So, you know, the question is, you know, as we're seeing this rebounding, you know, do you think we're that this is a sign that we're going to get near uh, the end of the correction and the end of the bear market inequities? Yeah, it, honestly, I didn't see anything in the rally quarter to date, and specifically the rally yesterday, that would say we're at the end of it. And I think we will talk in a minute kind of about the, the nature of uh, 2022 and what we've seen from a positioning standpoint. And really what I think yesterday was, again, is just more repositioning and maybe what it reflected was more capitulation for short-term bears. And because we did see it was a very explosive rally on big volume. But again, you're still not seeing any corroborating evidence. For example, high-yield spreads didn't tighten at all. Uh, the yield curve didn't steepen at all. And the market continues to be led in these rallies by the most heavily shorted stocks and unprofitable companies. And again, that's just more indications of shorter-term uh, repositioning. And so I, I, I really don't think this is any indication that we're near the end of the correction. And I really think we're just near the end of, of the beginning of the correction. And what I mean by that is when you go back and look at 2022 and you look at both where equities have moved on a valuation basis and you look at actual flows, what it really looks like is, look, investors you know, de-risked, they raised cash, um, and then they repriced equities because fixed income offered an attractive option. And we've seen flows come out of equities and start to move into yield products and into fixed income products. And so I think all we've done year to date is reposition, de-risk, and acknowledge that we're in a higher cost of capital world, but we have not begun to discount an earnings recession and what it looks more and more likely like an economic recession in 2023. Um, the next question, you know, looking at some recent data uh, and the underlying drivers of inflation, it, it appears the inflationary pressures have peaked. Um, you know, so given that the, the Fed has tightened monetary policy to address the inflation um, and, and in prior modest recessions, we've seen markets bottom as inflation peaked. Um, you know, wouldn't you say that that is a further sign that we're, we're nearing the end of the bear market? I, look, I think that's what investors are trying to set up for and say, look, let's everybody's saying, especially since so many investors don't have experience with recessions and, and market corrections, they're just saying, hey, let's look at history. And if we use history as a guide when we get the Fed pivot, when we get this peak of inflation, 
um, then that means it's risk on again. And I think it's ignoring the difference in this cycle versus prior cycles. And at the beginning of every economic downturn, it always is shallow and it's always isolated. And the simple truth is we don't know. But what we do know that's different versus when we have had shallow recessions, and even in the shallow recession in the early 2000s, uh, you know, earnings still fell 35%. And in prior shallow recessions, while it was shallow from an economic standpoint, earnings declined materially. Now, the market did look through that, and it was able to look through that for one um, it was just a very different environment from a monetary policy standpoint, meaning the Fed, the monetary tools at the Fed's disposal of cutting rates was still a forceful tool. We don't have that option right now. We've already been through the path of zero interest rates for a very long time. You're not going to stimulate and support economic activity by stop raising rates or reducing rates by 100 or 200 basis points. And quite frankly, I'm not sure you know you could get to zero um, and that you could actually stimulate activity at this point. So we don't have the same monetary policy levers. At the same time in prior recessions, uh, we, we were, from a demographic setup, we were much stronger. Uh, when you look at not just in the U.S., but the developed market writ large, look, we don't have a demographic tailwind here. We don't have the consumption and the household growth that's necessary to drive economic growth when you start to loosen financial conditions. Um, another element is the market isn't structured the same way. Its ability or willingness to discount the future doesn't exist like it did in the past. Passive is over 40% of the market, and those flows dominate daily activity. At the same time, the options market has grown so large that it's having an outsized influence on uh, equity markets. And neither passive nor options market are discounting the future. They're just looking at uh, short-term flows in the case of passive, or in the case of options market, looking at where they can generate alpha from mispricings or near-term strikes or positioning. So the vast majority of the flows aren't sitting out here trying to discount the future like we had in prior cycles. So again, I'm a little dubious that, that we're near the end or that the market's discounting and looking through things. And then the other elements are, look, China was a huge tailwind the last time. And so it was just becoming an engine of global growth. Today, we have just the opposite. We're deglobalizing. And so we don't have that. And more importantly, unlike prior economic downturns that re resulted in what would be short, shallow, bear markets, sovereign balance sheets are not healthy. You know, in prior periods when we uh, when we had similar outcomes, sovereign balance sheets were in good shape. I mean, they could they could be there and provide that support, um, and that's not the case. We're gonna we're gonna be dealing with sovereign de uh, default. So for a host of reasons, look, I'm open to it's gonna be similar uh, to the past, and I always try to you know keep that in mind. But when I really look at the fundamental drivers, it's not my base case. So I just think it's going to be a very different environment. And no, I don't think the market started to discount what's, what's coming in front of us. Yeah. And, and as you kind of go through these, I guess, you know, there would be difficult headwinds where whether it's demographics, deglobalization, sovereign, 
sovereign wealth balance sheets or sovereign balance yep. sheets rather. Um, you know, so we, as we walk through this, you know, this economic growth continues to deteriorate. Yep. You know, do you think that, uh, or what should investors monitor to determine, you know, whether the market will be able to look through these, um, to look through the recession, you know, similar to some of prior non-systemic uh, periods, or whether the underlying conditions are going to prolong the breadth and the depth of the bear market correction inequities? Yeah, I, look, I think the the most the biggest blind spot for investors right now is they don't have an appreciation for the lagged impact of the negative headwinds in front of us. So all investors know that, yes, interest rates operate on a long lag. And we everybody's kind of, I think, intuitively saying, well, we, we began raising interest rates almost a year ago. It was nine months ago. So surely, you know, that's already starting to be priced in. Like, yeah, but the bulk of the rate increases really came in the last three months. And so it, on the on the earliest expectation, we would just now begin to see the impact from the very modest increases we experienced early in 2022, but we still have several months, well beyond 12 months, as far as experiencing the impact from just the rate increases, the majority of which really just happened in the, in the like I said, in the last few months. The other element of this is the negative wealth effect. I mean, we have destroyed $30 trillion worth of wealth. That is going to impact consumption and GDP growth by several hundred basis points. Again, it operates on a long lag, and that lag is going to be similar to what we experienced with uh, the interest rate increases as well. So the the negative wealth effect, people that are still expecting that a shallow recession and we're going to get through this, and if you know, 23 turns out to be another bear market, it's only going to reinforce those dynamics. We still have to deal with that negative wealth effect. Um, and then the other uh, headwind is really the decline in real wages, right? Inflation, while we've seen strong wage gains, they haven't kept pace with inflation. What's offset that was the, the healthy consumer balance sheets, the excess cash that remained from the stimulus payments. And, you know, that's now being chewed up, right? We haven't seen a pickup in the savings rate. We've been spending our excess savings and it's being depleted. So we're going to start to see the impact of negative real wage growth, and that's going to start showing up in consumption very soon. And so, again, that buffer delayed what would normally be a more immediate impact. So I think there's a, a lot longer lag to the impact. So I don't think, again, we've, we've started to uh, experience um, uh, the impact on earnings and economic growth. The most important element of this, though, is really the Fed. And it's a question as to whether the Fed is going to stick to their guns and address the underlying inflation pressures. And Jay Powell highlighted the Fed is focused on employment and they're focused on the upward pressure on wages. Unfortunately for equity investors, the way you address wage pressures is by loosening employment conditions. And when you look at history as a guide and you give it the strength of the current employment environment and weight and the underlying wage pressures, you are going to need a looser, a less tight employment condition for up to 18 months. And we're just now starting to see a looser employment environment. So again, 
I can lay out and say, if the Fed's going to stick to their guns, maybe they don't get all the way up to 5%. Maybe they have to stop raising rates much sooner. But when they keep saying, we're going to stay higher for longer than people expect, that means we may have to maintain these higher level of interest rates well beyond 23 and into 24 if you really want to address the underlying wage pressures. Now, do I think they're going to be able to do that? Absolutely not. Because invariably, every cycle works the same way, which is the Fed tightens things up until they break something. And so I do think things are going to break ahead of that. So I think for investors, remember that we're operating on a very long lag. If all we do is stop today, no changes in fiscal policy, no changes in monetary policy, and we let the tightening conditions play out, in the United States, you would expect to see a contraction in GDP through 2025 north of 5%. Now, that is a tremendous uh, a level of economic slowdown and one that I don't think politically would be palpable. So surely we're going to get other uh, changes in fiscal policy and monetary policy. But again, those, those have consequences as well. If I'm an investor... I'm going to watch and see what breaks. I'm going to continue to watch CDS. I'm going to continue to watch the shape of the yield curve. If I want to slow down wage pressures, reduce wage pressures, and loosening employment, I do that through earnings, meaning I have to keep things tight and create a sufficient headwind for consumption and investment that earnings are materially impacted and therefore companies delay investment and they reduce costs, which means they create layoffs. Is the Fed going to allow that to happen? Or are they going to have to pivot? In which case they're going to reinforce the inflationary pressures. And we've already seen hints of uh, the Fed maybe accepting higher levels of inflation, which then means those need to be priced into earnings. They need to be priced into lower levels of margins and lower growth levels. So there are several factors to watch. Um, but again, none of these measures that we're going to watch are new. But I do think investors are going to be surprised at the lagged effect of the tightening financial conditions, the lagged impact on earnings. And we just got to see if it becomes self-reinforcing in a negative fashion. So as things deteriorate, layoffs occur, we chew through our savings, do uh, consumers then increase savings, reduce consumption, which furthers the slowdown, which then increases the layoffs. That is what a recession is, that negative self-reinforcing element. And we're just going to have to see, does that develop? When does it develop? What are the inflationary environment when it does? And then do we get a policy response? So I think this is going to be one of those um, cycles where you don't know. All the policy choices haven't been made, uh, but as they are, we'll pivot accordingly. Well, good. Uh, a lot in there today. Um, I might have to listen to this one twice. So th <laughs> thank you, Chris, um, as always. And we will uh, we'll have you back here soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. 
This podcast or any podcast in the series does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws. Securities discussed within this podcast may be held in the Von Nelson Strategies.